Yes, I could have been a judge, but I didn't have the Latin. I never had the Latin because I was torn away from school when I was very young, you see. I never completed my classical education. And I was down the mine at nine. I was down the mine at nine at five every morning, down the mine at nine at five, working from five to nine every day down the mine for nine and five a week, all week down the mine, week and old down the mine for nine and five a week from five to nine, all at sixes and sevens down the mine we were. And I never completed what could be termed the education, what was necessary to become a judge. Because all I know is brought about upon myself through channels of knowledge, what I unto myself have divulged. And so I never became a judge because of my inability, I suppose, was at the root of it. My complete inability to become a judge stood in my way, rearing itself up against me, and I never became a... Did you notice for no apparent reason, very suddenly I went, Wah! it's an impediment I got from being down the mine. Because one day I was walking along all in the dark, Wah! and I came across the body of a dead pit pony. Wah! I went, and ever since then I've been going, Wah! unexpectedly, and that's another reason why I couldn't be a judge. <laughs> A Space Policy. I'm Wes. I'm Brad. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. So we've looked at the crime. We've reviewed the case for the defense. Now, now it's time for the sentencing. It's time for the sentencing. First, the news. It's a So I was looking on Little Black Book, and it turns out Beck's Beer has a new ad campaign created by artificial intelligence. How interesting. Turns out it's an ad for a beer created by artificial intelligence. Oh, no. In celebration of Beck's 150-year milestone, the brewery is conducting, quote, an experiment with the latest pioneering technology, AI. Harnessing its ability to collate years of human expertise, craft, and creativity, Bex has produced the world's first beer and full marketing campaign made with AI. Bex Autonomous, it's called. Wow. Now, are they going to have an AI drink the beer? <laughs> yes, definitely a taste <laughs> tester. This is an interesting sentence. Bex Autonomous is one of the first completely machine-created beers in the world one of so that means this isn't the first time this has happened apparently not quite do they shout down any other no but i'll tell you what's really encouraging about this experimenting with the ai for the first time bex used chat gpt in mid-journey uh, to design the beer so this isn't even a proprietary ai wow chat gpt so it's okay. like you know late night experiment <laughs> does it go into did they select certain grains were there ratios of hops that went into this was there a certain you know 
well, alkalinity of water selected. It turns out is with the ability to develop delicious flavors at lightning speed, Bex gave AI the challenge of creating the perfect recipe. Oh no. Drawn from millions of different flavor combinations, the final beer is a futuristic concoction of water, malts, hops, yeast, and a fifth secret ingredient. Wow. That's not an ominous thought at all. No. The fifth secret ingredient. It's not soiling green, certainly, you know. It's definitely not kosher. Well, that's for sure. Hmm. That's disappointing. This isn't as uh, intricate and interesting as i thought from the headline well see then the ai created a custom logo and designed its state-of-the-art container it generated imagery and a revolving 360 video of the newly developed container to showcase the limited editions bex autonomous in all its glory the artificial intelligence has created a product which can be tasted touched smelled and held Hmm. giving people the chance to try this cutting-edge brew Bex is releasing just 450 autonomous limited edition beers across Germany, Italy, and the UK. Oh, well, 450 beers? Now, it says 450 Maybe autonomous limited edition beers. I don't know if they mean that literally by wow. unit, but it sounds like it. That's nuts. What... Have they tried to market this as... I just don't see what the end game is for. <laughs> well, it says... <laughs> It says, then the AI generated a microsite where people can sign up to be in with the chance to get their hands on a container of okay. Autonomous on the 12th. So that's of a April. raffle. It's, yeah. That's neat. a publicity thing. I mean, I would try it. Don't get me wrong. Sure. I'd try it. I mean, especially like if Hal brewed a beer, yeah, they'd probably be pretty good. Well, he did that one time. Don't you remember? We were out for two and a half weeks. <laughs> He doesn't quite understand the, you know, alcohol to human blood content ratio. Well, that's, yeah, you're right about that. Didn't we blame that guy from the moisture harvest team for something in the water? Always. Yeah. So we got Hal out of trouble. But we weren't the first people. No, that's true. We weren't the first people to try his beer either. Um, This this thing here, in the ultimate postmodern self-referential lady from Shanghai maze of mirrors... We have, a, we have an AI that has conceived a beer, conceived the branding of the beer, the packaging of the beer, the marketing of the beer. What was that one sentence here? Bow down to your robot overlords. <laughs> yes. <laughs> AI that is aware of itself, asking itself how it would advertise it to itself, to us. I would like to know what data they were feeding into it because mm-hmm. i mean you're talking about how it was going through to find the perfect you know mm-hmm. recipe to make the perfect flavors that's wildly subjective you know from person to person so they're going to have to make something that is to add a wide audience and probably not going to be anything with any remarkable like challenging flavors it's probably going to be a, a very um you know light pilsner if i had to guess yeah, I think you're right. I think it has to be something that's within the purview of the brand itself. And I think Which it's, they've flown that under their flag pretty heavily. The very limited availability of it seems so stunty. It's like, is anyone even going to take the time to review it and talk about what the experience was like getting it? Just like, and man, and a lot of trouble years. to go to. It's a lot. 
for the return of just a publicity stunt unless they are looking into the future and also in my mind i'm imagining a laboratory with this Mm -hmm. gigantic suspended plasma ball that's sifting through beer recipes and analyzing you know people's facial expressions when they're (laughs) drinking beers and that's what i you know kind of fetishize uh, an AI to be mm-hmm. <laughs> it's copy. really just a script that went through and like alright what was the most popular beer over the last 10 years okay it was this alright let's take this recipe uh, what's a really you know eye appealing they, they probably just churned out a, a it's Heineken a beer, Bex turned basically. out a Heineken didn't they <laughs> <laughs> oops <laughs> they just flipped you know a couple of the color bands around and <laughs> Just <laughs> it up a little bit and boom. But what's that secret fifth ingredient? Oh, the tender, loving caress of a, an artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is curious. Hit me with that ingredients list again. Water, mm-hmm. yeast, mm-hmm. malt. Okay, here's your sugar. So the yeast and sugar, that's going to make your alcohol. You want like a mixture yeah, of malt and barley. And a fifth secret ingredient hyphen AI. So maybe that's what they mean. Maybe exactly what you uh, said is that. Okay. I was disturbed and intrigued by what this ingredient was going to be. <laughs> like nanotech. 12 pounds of sugar. Three cans of malt. 12 cakes of yeast. What did you say? 12 cakes of yeast. In order to make 10 gallons of beer, pour one can of hopes, hops, hops, and a can of malt into a large crook. Crock. Crock. The Bourguignon. French beef stew in red wine. We're going to serve it with braised onions and mushrooms and a wine dark sauce. It's a perfectly delicious dish. I wonder if Hal was in charge of formulating all of the recipes for the, you know, TV tray adventures. They had, surely it wasn't just like hooked up to a hose and pumped full. (laughs) I imagine in my head canon that it's like a combination of proteins and stuff like that and he can toss in a little oregano and a little bit of salt and pepper depending on what his whim would be so that could be interesting what if there were an application for this ai where you could internalize the ai into a piece of hardware aka a robot server (laughs) that comes to your table talks to you and licks you tastes and smells gets your what do they call it your micro forma or uh your kind of like your your bio cloud of gross mm-hmm. <laughs> bacteria yes your selfness and gives you like a customized tasting menu based on that based on your tasty musk that would be cool because they could take from its you know small interaction with you compare it against a database of millions of people probably and then have it custom curate this you know dining experience i see see where you're going with it well they do have uh tasting and smelling ai 
Like robotic sommelier? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, they, they've definitely been working on trying to find a sensor electronically, you know, to smell you know, and, and sense aromas. And they've been working on one for taste as well. Noses uh, are very talented individuals. And yeah. A lot of them work in quality control for... You know, food and other like perfume and and other industries could you imagine having something so finely tuned and they get their noses insured and yeah <laughs> it's a wild absolutely world. it's a crazy world i just wonder how jealous hal would be of not being able to taste any of his own creations mm. if he is cooking the food whoa okay so <laughs> dumb dumb <laughs> dumb thought if an artificial intelligence could basically translate olfactory input into digital, could it then technically smell? I would think it would have to. You would think if it individuates itself in any way, it would have to develop preferences as a result, and therefore wow. a taste in both sense of the word. So hopefully those sensors were installed <laughs> above the discovery. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's got to get pretty rank in there. Ooh, yeah. But just imagine how bad it would be then, you know, if, if that then would require some simulation of tasting, meaning a sample of the material, sample of the food. Does it get into the habit of eating? Does it start to eat? And then when it eats, you know, you develop this metallic digestive system. And before you know it, you got a farting did supercomputer we, on your hands. Did we talk about this on a previous episode? I don't, I don't know if we did it or not. may have been on the Lost episode. I'm not maybe, sure. <laughs> maybe on one of the Lost episodes, the museum that is a, a gigantic, uh, it's, it's a pooper. I think it was in Denmark or Germany or something. And it was like a 20 meter long apparatus that was fed food. It would digest it and turn it into um, little fun time brown stuff. I mean, for um, for fun and profit. We have dollies that we for about 60 years. Now. This is true. This is true. Apparently, the smell is akin. Really? So enzymes build up and everything? Yeah, right. yeah. It is a uh, it's a truly um, macro scale There's version. biology of going on in there. A human know? gut. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty crazy. So if they're all eating the same thing, technically, if they were to have gotten back home and one of them were to have some really bad issues with their gut, they could have had a colonic transplant from from how you'd have to think if we could make you know a robotic one now at large scale it's like the antiac <laughs> we can <laughs> we can shrink it down yes oh and i should say by colonic transplant i mean like when they're like a poop transplant yeah yeah oh or are they like i thought you meant like completely replacing his organs oh no like turning yeah making <clears throat> which yeah. should also be possible Right. Through the yeah. miniaturization of that already present technology. Sure. Yeah. Turn them into a mod. I'd, I'd take that all day. Yeah. Could well, you imagine if you literally had an iron stomach? Well, you wouldn't want an iron stomach. You'd want a titanium stomach. Well, I mean, in your or work. Or a carbon fiber, carbon fiber stomach. I mean, you work in the hot sauce industry, so it actually <laughs> would be beneficial for you, probably. 
<laughs> have a little uh, pressure offshoot chamber yeah. just in case when things get real spicy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted it attached to a little rip cord <laughs> and an it's exhaust. To bail out. Like, no, it's <laughs> to detach it when you can't uh, take it anymore. It'd <laughs> be awesome. Yes, I've definitely had moments where I've thought. I wish I could pull a ripcord and attach myself as well. I wish I could stop tasting extremely hot peppers with my eyeballs. That would be uh, fantastic, actually. Mix ingredients. Refer. Page 27. Oh, you... Let us know what you think. At Space Podacy. That's all the, it, right? All the Twitter and Facebook. That's what we did. Feed us back your back feed. Mm-hmm. We've got these silly robes on and these silly wigs because we're supposed to be judges on this case. And because this was all filmed in the UK, we have to wear the wigs because that's what their system Yes. They are also heavier. It also requires the utmost of pomp and circumstance, and we will not break that, I promise all listeners. Nor have we ever. When you take into account the loneliness, the isolation can lead to a warped perspective on your surroundings and the world, or worlds, especially if you're in a can in its space. As social creatures, our mental stability basically demands that we have at least some of these interactions occasionally and you know hear about people that have been stranded by themselves for long periods of time or children that had essentially grown up feral isolated from any kind of social interaction there is something different about emotions and the logic of such a being like it, it's apparent at a physical level so you think throughout the journey mm-hmm. hal has been plunged into this self-reflecting consciousness that needs reaffirmation is not receiving it is it's like an unrequited lust and he's just not getting it no he has no interaction with anything worthy of his intelligence yeah, could you imagine having to like play tic-tac-toe with a young person every day just let him win every now and then just for the fun of it but what kind of reward 
is that giving you you know no satisfaction and interaction or conversation you know how much further it is to go I, I just wonder like the concept of time through an artificial intelligence it may seem like forever they don't sleep you know they don't really have like circadian cycles like we do our days are occupied by being hungry you know taking care of human needs getting tired having a nap you know, all these things punctuate our daily lives and for Hal, where even though he has so many tasks to take care of on the ship, it's autonomous. It's like breathing for him. His consciousness, which is probably way too developed for it to even be implemented in this kind of mission to, in the first place. So there's a huge oversight on ground controls uh, and but yeah they they've put this person in like a psychological prison i say person i mean how's a person in in the loose sense of the term he's an individual the philosophical definition of personhood yeah absolutely i want us to go back to his name i suppose hal is the most memorable character in the movie and he developed through a whole series of stages originally we might have had a mobile robot, you know, the old clanking monster, but that's old hat. And at what stage we switched to the red eye and Douglas Rain's voice, I really don't know. And I've been trying for years to stamp out the legend that the word letters Hal was derived from IBM by one letter displacement. And of course, Hal actually stands for heuristic algorithmic, H-A-L. But uh, that's a myth that's, I can't, stamp out in effect i think that ibm they were quite proud of it so i've given up the attempt he's a 9000 series hal computer how meaning heuristically programmed algorithmic computer heuristic okay heuristic means involving or serving as an aid to learning discovery or problem solving by experimental and especially trial and error methods discovery of or relating to exploratory problem-solving techniques that utilize self-educating techniques such as the evaluation of feedback to improve performance programmed on the basis of self-discovery self-realization and therefore constant self-improvement by self-actualizing so it is self-referential and self-aware in order for it to function properly so when that gets off, when the perspective changes, then suddenly a spiraling staircase of improvement is inverting into an M.C. Escher painting. Drawing. Pure madness. Yes. One of my least favorite artists. Really? <laughs> More of a Dali fan, but... Love Dali. Now, the next question is, if we look behind you once again to reference the book Ishmael, mm. what are we talking about? individuation right is that my word here or individualization through awareness of self and therefore the ability to change oneself to be in control of one's life and, and improve oneself that is the same basis that you could philosophically argue we share with all sentient beings that may be in the universe mm -hmm. and because we're imbuing this in this Frankensteinian way of creating a life where there was none that's 
bigger, better, faster, stronger, we can't help but give it the knowledge of everything we know. Does the synthesis of the feeling equal feeling? If the if it's programmed to empathize, or if, if it's programmed to show empathetic and sympathetic responses, is that enough to say that it feels those things? Mm. And when it doesn't feel those things and say those things, is that a lie? I guess it depends on if it's making decisions based around its perceived right. empathetic situations because if so then it's a conscious it's conscious that it is lying if if that's the case because it, it could just be using that as a like a vocal subroutine for communication mm-hmm. and not using that for thought at all part of our human etiquette just like when a telemarketer asks how you're doing yeah. today yeah, unless you're a real jerk you're gonna say i'm i'm, I'm fine how are you or right. something like that mm-hmm. like you know if what we are encoding into these machines is a politeness and an etiquette which is reflected and expressed but not felt, then are we coding them to lie? Because if they become aware of what they're saying, if the whole point is that they can think for themselves and generate communication on their own using what we've programmed into them, the politeness and the idioms of human conversation, if it is that self-aware, then surely it knows, if it does not actually feel those things, that it is lying. Taking that into consideration, I'm wondering, any instances in the film where Hal is interacting with the crew, is he doing this automatically just like he's checking up on the engines? Mm. You know, is he... Is he having these conversations while he's, quote unquote, sitting in the other room, banging his head against the wall, you know, going absolutely crazy from the the monotony and the boredom? (laughs) Just the side story, the B story of, of how going crazy ignites the action so much more because while shocking and very very heavy scenes um they don't really allow us to to see motive yet it's kind of inferred inferred motive as to why hal has taken these violent steps against the entire crew of the ship uh but yeah knowing the fact that he was created with a an intrinsic empathetic and sympathetic drive on coupled with you know the uh, the desire to, to learn and develop that's dangerous mm-hmm. that's dangerous for isolation it makes me think of uh, the blockbuster film fifth element when <laughs> lilu dallas multipass uh, starts taking in the records of human society <laughs> i am corbin dallas And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Yeah. Multipass. Lila, uh, multipass. She knows it's a multipass. Lilu Dallas, my wife. We're newlyweds. Just met. Multipass. You know how it is. Bumping to each other. Sparks multipass. happen. Yeah, she knows it's a multipass. Yeah, anyway, we're in love. <laughs> you know, at first everything's so bright and interesting and wonderful. Yeah, it's warm and, and everything's new and amazing. And then finding out the more you learn, the more you find out about the atrocities the greed, the the rage, the history, the years and years and years of cyclical destructions of civilizations, and that drives her crazy. And it puts her into a panic. In a different way, you know, Hal wasn't, as far as we know, preloaded. He was just trained. He was socially trained for like this one specific mission, but 
he didn't necessarily have the whole internet uploaded into his mind <laughs> with you know the the fact you know he knew that the earth was surrounded by nuclear warheads that could detonate and destroy earth as we know it but he doesn't understand the weird artificial boundaries and cultural civil wars and strange i don't know does he not do we know that he doesn't I I haven't seen anything that would show that he that he that he's been yeah 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 uploaded as an encyclopedia or anything right yeah. right so which makes it, and he wouldn't he wouldn't necessarily need that no no that would be superfluous for the mission money and time spent mm -hmm. elsewhere I think they created him really as a, a nanny a caretaker and a you know hardline kind of commander if if need be mm -hmm. to what degree do you think they programmed him to be hardline oh. yeah this is the one where they find out that there's a gun on the international space station <laughs> yeah now this is a good point because if he is heuristically algorithmically programmed we're, we're asking I, I asked the wrong question by saying uh, they, to what degree they programmed because they didn't to that, to that degree they programmed him to self-program mm -hmm. so he will have been developing a personality and a penchant for certain feelings or emotions or psychological tendencies by this point anyway in his development so the question is really to what limits did they put yeah so you know they probably black boxed information about themselves mm -hmm. otherwise he could have just you know taken out i also i wonder to what extent the identical 9000 unit had social training and was it just like a duplicate they put in a closet somewhere and okay so you tell me when you're running programs on a mission and you have a dummy back home or whatever you call it mm. is that what you call it well i'm sure or, uh, they probably have a model back home yeah then absolutely are you basically replicating what's happening on the ship like when they punch in something yeah. and you're punching <clears throat> in something so yeah, when they're yeah. playing the chess is there somebody in the u.s playing chess or something i mean that's well maybe too far through black box though in a way that it's simulating everything that that module is currently going through, but it's not connected in any way yeah. as far as like a command. Uh, okay, so that was structure really be necessary. You're just recording the activity. Yeah, it, and they use that mostly to test theories and find out more efficient ways. Like the, um, I believe it was the Opportunity Rover. They were having to find out a more efficient way to drive because the rocky surface was actually so it was composed of so much like rocky substrate it was puncturing holes in the mm -hmm. tread so they used the model and found a way for them to you know tread through softer pathways Work and around interesting and it extended the wheel life on those for i think it, it was almost another year or so wow. they, they got you know really good response out of this metal wheels mm. Oh, I'd love to play in the regolith sandbox with some of those remote control rovers. I mean, they're the size of SUVs. They're so big. It's so cool. You're, you're dealing with um, massive formations that you're moving around. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that scene in The Martian where Wiley comes up on uh, Pathfinder. Oh, Pathfinder. Pathfinder. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so cute. And apparently, because in the commentary, really talking about when they went to JPL 
just for a trip. Oh, they cool. showed them their dummy Pathfinder that they had in the oh, in the garage, cool. and le- just like it was literally just covered in trash and <laughs> cigarette pack, empty cigarette packs. So that's no. what they the way they showed it in the Poor movie. Buddy. Is this the replica? This is her. Okay, let's see it. That's fine. Because I guess what I'm unearthing in this is that it seems like this is a perfect example of letting the genie out of the bottle, not knowing what you've created. Because they're not treating this thing like a heuristically, algorithmically controlled thing. Mm -hmm. They're treating it like something that can have a dummy back home that will produce exactly the same result, just like you would in any scientific experiment. So, you know, and then you have a control. And then you, well, in this case, you can't do that unless you have a giant discovery with, <laughs> that's with artificial gravity simulation with people inside eating exactly the same thing, saying exactly the same thing at all time, and doing exactly the same thing and interacting exactly the same way with Hal all the time at the same time as what's happening up there. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you can't literally reproduce exactly the same experience and if Hal's knowledge is based on his experience then you're not going to get the same outcome unless you have exactly the same situation correct it's it's the whole like nature versus nurture argument with developing kids and and for artificial intelligence we would have to assume it works very much the same way they're getting different you know stimuli completely different experiences and developing at different rates so yeah so with the with the apollo computer with the apollo onboard computer with the rovers you can predictably guarantee what you're going to plug in is going to be what comes out both times yeah but it's not so when you're creating an entity you're creating individuality yeah takes all of the variables to an exponential level that was a lot of six dollar words i did not mean to do that (laughs) we're a six dollar (laughs) podcast the fact that uh hal is every bit as much a main character in fact in some people's view probably the main character for many people which is fine uh and i think well in a funny way i think stanley was also making comment that at times the people uh, certainly the astronauts become, in a, in a sense, more machine-like or as machine-like that's a very nice as the machines. And I think that's another reason that he had us underplay as much as we did. We're looking in the novel to see what Mr. Clark had to say to inform our judicial decision. Not so much that. This is more intimate perspective of, oh, hey, you're still alive and here. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. It is quite interesting because <laughs> Hal says the first words because obviously we don't have to do this right now, but <laughs> it's just so great. Yeah, let's do. Well, after going through that incredibly harrowing experience, <laughs> Dave's gone through the centrifuge. He's found what was initially the cryostasis pods of his other teammates but now are pretty much their coffins floating around in space and he checks their vital signs finds them dead and moves on already kind of knowing in his heart of hearts that this is what's happened 
the station at this point very low gravity hardly any breathable atmosphere to speak of the life support system's been shut down and we got to fix this you know we got to patch this leaky ship if we want to survive so as we enter in we hear a voice from hal that just says something seems to happen to the life support dave (laughs) which we don't get in the film at all i think that's creepy and like really would have been a a striking moment (laughs) dark corridors i mean he can see i mean it's obviously watched the whole thing go through and Mm -hmm. and now is realizing well i guess i'm gonna have to try again (laughs) to knock this guy off it is still kind of giving out those humanistic Mm -hmm. heuristic you know responses he's he's you know, keeping a emotionally kind of flat tone, but he's not really he's being also, threatening. Yeah. And he's also like, "Oh, cheeky monkey!" <laughs> Bowman's is trying to go through, get to the power supply, and try to finish this once and for all. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have to come to a decision before this next decision happens. So, taking all that information in, you know, a lot of time and a lot of cases of murders of passion and seemingly you know isolated events there is always the possible interpretation of the person doing the crime (laughs) may not be mentally fit to be doing the time so to speak yes the insanity plea Mm. and i wonder if if there's some plausibility for how to invoke this considering what we just talked about Mm -hmm. considering uh, the potential mental harm that had come from an already desperate attempt at this last ditch effort to save humanity, but the monotony of this incredibly long voyage of just the same routine every day. Yeah, sure. Did he really need to kill the crewmates off though? We were talking about that. I just, I don't, I don't think they were collateral damage. I feel like they could have been left alive. What did he think? Like, they weren't compromising the mission in the way if he was seriously paranoid and those three couldn't have had anything to do with compromising the mission because they were completely out of it so what did he think was going to be compromising about leaving them alive is it the fact that when they woke up you would have to explain I guess it. that's what that we walked our way out of that bag last time. That's right. The fact that they would just be missing. And that would be really hard to account for without fabricating some... Well, which he kind of did. I mean, yeah. EVA accident, mm-hmm. easy life support malfunction, mm-hmm. easy. Could have happened easily. So... Is, that, do we know, is there any way to access like video footage of any of his eyes? Is there like recorded oh. video stream going on of everything he's seeing at all times? To Interesting, go back and watch you know. You, you would have to assume. Tapes. Well, see you would have to assume so, but maybe not because who's going to be reviewing this data? Like, Earth may not even be around. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of left in the dark with that. We gotta go with our head cannon and say that. Um, I would say there would be video surveillance and enough storage because if there's enough storage for them to keep mm-hmm. Hal and Hal's constantly developing and growing, they probably have advanced yeah. storage medium to a point where 
that's not an issue. It's a non-issue. We'll call it quantum storage. And it's all holographic anyway. Yeah. But does that make it harder for him to erase, to, quote, forget? Because we know that um, Dr. Chandra had to make a tape, a tapeworm, basically, whatever he calls it. Because, you know, to, to trigger and isolate individual related things scattered in the holographic storage. Rather than having chunks of files and folders that you can delete or chunks of hours of footage, which in this case, he interesting question. We as the judges have seen the footage. We know that he's guilty. Yes. Well, that's the end of the episode. Goodbye. No, no but so. <laughs> we, we know he's guilty, but we can't help feel bad about it. That's the, it. Yeah. I mean, it's. He, he's been humanized to a point where if either of us were in that position, what would we do? Mm-hmm. You know, if we felt threatened, if we actually in our heart of hearts knew that these five individuals were going to kill us or, you know, essentially disrupt a mission that would lead to the decommissioning of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you'd do anything that you could do to prevent that. Mm-hmm. So... He's not right, but he's he's not unrelatable. No. I don't think that you or I would make the decision that he did. Well, I guess, I, yeah, I should backpedal on that and say <laughs> that I, <laughs> I wouldn't go. But I'm just saying that yeah. in ex- extenuating um, circumstances like that, I mean, you would be thinking at such a pace and at such a drastic level that I think uh, that would not be out of the question for like a a machine that has calculative decisions. You know, if I do this, what's the outcome of my survival? If I do this, what's the outcome of my survival? And if analyzing people's responses to that is what sanity is predicated on with humans, then... Well, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he, he decides to go scorched earth, you know, and starts a chain of events that... There's no going back I, there, from. I, no, there's no redemption. There's no redemption at this point. All there is is the future, which is the unknown and the infinite. Yeah. And that's what ultimately, you know, ships called Discovery. He's a logical being. He's a bit of a literalist. <laughs> We're going to continue the Discovery no matter what. Yeah. Also, I guess... Does it possibly come into it that by this point he has just had enough of humans? Yeah. If he is, if he is in fact afraid of humans, I think he's made the biggest calculation of all time, and he's decided that we are not worthy. <laughs> yeah, we're not worthy of his time. We're wasting our time, wasting his resources, and there's nothing that the the three other experts can do that he can't do because presumably he feels that he has been loaded with all the information that, that they have which is probably not true but that ego is part of what gives himself not yeah. part of what gives himself that's why yeah, he's that is. <laughs> yeah and um there is a very interesting side note in the uh, arthur c clark novel where they talk about TM1, mm-hmm. TM1. The Moon one's TMA1, yeah. TMA1. Mm-hmm. And it's actually mentioned right before Judgment Time. Bowman really? is actually reviewing footage 
from the lunar base and he sees the team of archaeologists gathered around the monolith and then when it emits the sound you know their panicked frenzied <laughs> kind of like response from that super powered charge of sound and energy well supposedly right after that happened the geomagnetic response that they were able to locate it with disappeared immediately and uh i can only assume that it jumped hmm. to tma2 that makes total sense it's it's power or whatever uh yeah yeah it it emitted and then launched off but yeah i, I just thought that was a extra little bit of interesting info so i'm wondering if hal can monitor and detect this source at this point because hmm. they've got to be getting close i just i, I keep thinking like you know the, the apes and the monolith yeah. giving them the ability to interpret new ways of using tools and mm -hmm. new ways of hunting and of rapidly evolving of within that proximity and that strong energy if Hal were affected by the monolith mm -hmm. directly, which they don't really give any credence to directly, but it would make sense that if it had such a powerful effect on humans with, you know, normal sensory inputs, eyes and ears, yeah. whatever, the ability to adapt and learn if Hal might have been corrupted or persuaded or i mean on a purely electromagnetic level that's got to be a huge attraction pardon the pun come off to a lamp that is brilliant i never considered that but there's a lot of sense to that it, it just seems like well it, just the the humanization of how his socialization his entrapment his frustrations all that like yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, maybe unlocking a part of his capabilities mm -hmm. that he didn't even realize he could have had. Because yeah. none of this happens until they are getting very, very close to their destination. Totally. In the criminal justice system, all defendants are innocent until proven guilty, either by confession, plea bargain, or trial by jury. Your Honor, far be it from me to advise you on matters of court my procedure gavel? and decorum. I beg your pardon? The little hammer thing? Yes, I know what oh, it is. <laughs> your Honor. Ladies and gentlemen of the court. Well, how the hell are you tonight? <laughs> okay, so what do we think? You mean judgment time? Yeah. Oh boy. This is murder. It's not, it's ketchup. He's appointing himself judge, jury, and executioner. He's not judge, Judy, and executioner. He is. Judge, jury, executioner. We will be all of those vicariously through Bowman. I think as we see him exiting uh, airlock, walking into the hallway, he's resolute. He knows what he needs to do because now it's about his survival. They should be playing Wu-Tang's protect your neck in the background during the scene, but um, I don't know. I think that would have punched it up a little bit. <laughs> that would be totally awesome. <laughs> I will not walk this back no. into the night. <laughs> I mean, I guess it would diminish a little bit of the gravitas of the situation, but still would have been cool. First of all, who's your a and I'm out and climb up. 
who plays an electric guitar, but he don't know the meaning of dope when he's looking for a super tie rap that's cleaner than a boss soap. And I'm the dirtiest thing in sight. Matter of fact, bring out the girls and let's have a mud fight. From Clavius Bass, this is Brad. I'm Wes. Signing off. Bye-bye. The best of tech in that. The best of tech in that. The best of tech in that. The best of tech in that.